I love goat cheese. I really, really love it. I put it in everything. I put it in my guacamole when the avocados aren't quite ripe enough to make it just a little bit creamier. I put it in my pasta when I'm kind of put together. I put it on popcorn on nights when I could not possibly even try to make pasta. I put it in my strawberry scones that perfect weekend somewhere in every May when the strawberries are bright red and just right. It's good for sweet. It's good for savory. It's good for all seasons. I am always trying to share goat cheese with people. If I'm invited to a picnic, it's time to bring Goat Lady Dairy's fig and honey goat cheese and some really good crackers and then just watch people fall in love with it. The first time I cooked dinner for a man I was dating, I put that very same fig and honey cheese on a pizza with pancetta and pesto and roasted tomatoes and arugula. And while my relationship with the man didn't last, I like to think and hope that he kept buying that perfect goat cheese. I first tried goat cheese on a class field trip to Goat Lady Dairy out in Guilford County, and I was lucky enough to go back there to talk to Steve Tate recently. The brother of the Goat Lady herself and one of the founders of Goat Lady Farm, Steve told me about the history of the farm and what has made it last. We're very fortunate to, to that, but we enjoy it, yeah. And you grew up on a farm I as did. well, didn't you? What kind of farm was mm-hmm. that? So I grew up in Illinois, uh-huh. in Champaign County, which is east central Illinois, and it was a corn and bean farm. So my family on both sides, both my mother and father, mm-hmm. uh, are farmers way, way back. And so that was... So the kind of the farm experience and the farm ethic was very much in our background for my sister and I, um, um, and but it was not animal farming, so it's a little bit different than what we do here. Yeah, uh, when would when you lived on the corn and bean farm, was that a lot of what you ate? Was that uh, what was a typical meal on a farm in Illinois? Well, my my mother was a really great farm cook, and we had a big vegetable garden, mm-hmm. and so we did we did eat a lot of good food. Um, it's interesting to think about that because when I was born in 1950, mm-hmm. right? So, what was a big impact influence right right at that time was the convenience of new processed food, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the home cooks, most of whom were women, Mm -hmm. were really excited about all these time-saving things. So things like cake mixes and macaroni and cheese out of a box were great. Uh Jello, you know. Uh, Interestingly, my mother never really got into that stuff much. Mm -hmm. So we'd go to, you know, church potlucks and things and see some of these things. (laughs) And she'd say, oh, that's interesting. And then she'd make sure you knew that's not near as good as you can make <laughs> from scratch. So I was fortunate in that we didn't we didn't ride that way. <laughs> right. Uh, and had a lot of a lot of good cooking. Now she had 
like she wouldn't do some things we do a lot now because we grow a lot of herbs. Uh, she and she, you know that was that wasn't very much a part of it. But just you know, goods from scratch, uh, vegetables and meat, meat and potatoes, and you know, good. We always had dessert. Mm -hmm. She was a big homemade dessert person. Did you have a favorite homemade dessert? Mm, well, her chocolate chip cookies are pretty hard to beat. She's yeah. also the best pie maker in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Bar none. For sure. And she, when she made her homemade pies, of course, when she'd make the pastry, she'd always have strips left over. Mm -hmm. So so whenever it was a, a day that we were having pie, I always made sure I was around because she'd take these little strips and she'd put uh, cinnamon and sugar on them oh. and bake them in the oven <laughs> while the pie was baking. And then you'd get this little treat oh, be man. before the pie was done. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. My, my grandmother and my dad's dad was definitely of the convenient food generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, or my dad's mom. Did I say my dad's dad? Um, she and I remember Thanksgivings at her house. There's always a Jello mold. Yeah. There's always, um, and we we were very excited about it, but the, it was like cranberry sauce from the can. Yeah. That still had the little can rings on it. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> the, uh, that is typical. My and my other grandmother who lived out. It wasn't a farm, but lived out on some land in rural Alamance County. That's more of like the homemade biscuits right. side of my family. Right, right. Uh, <clears throat> but it, it is, I think there's been a shift since that. It's like, oh, this makes life so much easier for mothers making mm -hmm. meals for their whole families. A shift back to people being excited about uh, fresh yeah. fruits and vegetables and yeah. making things from scratch. And there's... Uh, do you find that 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 the people who uh, you said you had the CSA or the people who are buying you cheese that they have that kind of mentality that something is important about getting food fresh? Absolutely, absolutely, and knowing where the food comes from. I think the challenge is still there, or even more so, about the time that it takes. Mm -hmm. And so one of one of the dynamics of the local food movement which is really key to our whole success as a business since my sister started it as a hobby in 1984 has mm -hmm. been that local food movement but but the thing that's always pulling against it is uh it takes a lot of time and so you and and skill uh and people a lot of people have lost that skill so it's interesting to watch people who have the interest figure out how they can actually make it part of their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's really still a big problem <clears throat> and a big challenge for, for all of us. Most people need to have, if there's two, two people in the family, they need to both have jobs. And um, that wasn't the way it was in 1950 when I was born. Um, so it's interesting how people solve that. And of course, what you notice when you go to the grocery store now is there's much better food than there used to be. There's still all the crap, mm -hmm. but there's also a lot better food if you look for it and a lot better prepared foods, right? Right. So that's the big thing now in so many of the grocery stores. 
and they're using better ingredients. They're using local ingredients. They're using uh, and promoting that to their customers. So mm -hmm. that's a way that farmers have benefited from it, e even though a challenge like for people selling at farmers markets mm -hmm. is, I think in some ways that almost has peaked the growth mm -hmm. and in part it's peaked because people don't have the time right. to take all those raw ingredients, but they can go to Whole Foods or Earth Fair or Deep Roots or somewhere and, there, and there's, they, there's a lot of stuff that's prepared with good food back in the kitchen at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a, a sign that people don't have as much time yeah. to do it as they'd like. Yeah, I think that's definitely a challenge. And you said about like a, a lot less people know how to do it. And I think I noticed that when I was in high school, my best friend and I were like budding foodies. We like liked to try to cook together a lot. And we decided to, there was no home ec class. There was a home ec building at my school, like a remnant of years before, but there was no home ec class or anything like it at my school. So we made a cooking club or hmm. we were going to try to make a cooking club, but we didn't have much of a plan and we thought it would just be a handful of our friends and we'd get to like put down on our college applications that we started a, a club no, at yeah. our high school. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had our first meeting and like over 70 people showed up mm. and we ended up, <laughs> that was our only meeting. In because, high school? Yeah. Oh, wow. Because we were we were so overwhelmed and we had no place yeah. to host that many yeah. people or we we didn't know that much about cooking, yeah. uh, but it was this like realization to me that oh all these people would really like to know how to cook yeah. if our school had any sort of I, I understand home ec not being what it was, mm -hmm. but if there were some sort of practical skills class about cooking and sewing. <laughs> Uh, and oh. just a few things that I think people do actually want to know, feel capable. Oh, if you and I ran the world. <laughs> I mean, it's just absurd to mm -hmm. think that we don't have that as a priority. That mm -hmm. every boy, every girl, when they graduate from high school, can go out and feed themselves. Mm -hmm. And know how to buy good food and cook it it's just crazy and think how much healthier people would be if they had that knowledge that's the that's one of the main reasons why people buy junk food is because it's convenient it's and easy. easy and fills you up fast mm -hmm. not because it gives you nutrition or makes you feel good or, or, or gives you health, no. but just because it's easy and and people don't know how. And, and working with raw products can be easy too, but mm -hmm. you have to know. It takes a lot of skill, you know. Uh, like, so I've got Sunday, you know, I've got Sunday afternoon, so I'm gonna cook for the week. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna cook stuff that I can use, put in the freezer, you know, whatever. That's a skill. You mm -hmm. can do it, though. You can do it, and a lot of people do. But if you and I ran the world, we'd fix it. <laughs> well, I know sort of on the topic of fixing the world that uh, I've heard you talk about what you do here at Goat Lady as uh, environmental activism. 
How do you see this farm sort of playing into that uh, movement? So our motto has always been, when you change a person's relationship to their food, mm-hmm. you change them and the world together. So how old are you, Amy? I am 27. Okay. So even even that old, so mm-hmm. very old. <laughs> when I was 27, uh-huh. if you had said the phrase to me, local food movement, mm-hmm. I would have thought you were referring to a problem with your digestive system. <laughs> okay? There was nothing like that. Yeah. Nothing. Not even when we started this farm as a commercial family business in 95 was that a thing. And now it's mainstream. When you change a person's relationship to their food, you change them and the world together. If in 84, when my sister started this as a hobby farm, you would have said to her, you know, I think someday there'll be organic food in Walmart. Uh She would have said, you need your medication changed. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And now I just got got a a sponsored Facebook ad Uh yesterday on my iPhone promoting how much local food there is in Walmart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, not so just organic. When you change a person's relationship to their food, why is there organic local food in Walmart? Because enough people started asking Because for it. people changed their relationship to their food and they said, I don't want to I don't want anonymous food. I want to know where it came from, how it was made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then that's the activism part because then they go, well, wait a minute, maybe I don't, maybe I don't like the fact that this product is destroying the rainforest or mm-hmm. that product is polluting the rivers and creating a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico the size of Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I don't want, I, maybe I don't want to spend my money that way. Could you make, could I have that item in this way, mm-hmm. you know, not made that way? Yeah, I'll pay a little bit more for it. Um, you know are there problems with Walmart yeah but does it make a difference if there's organic food in Walmart the day they put organic food in Walmart it changed the whole world Mm -hmm. because there were millions of acres that were better cared for than there were before Mm -hmm. Walmart didn't do that to take care of the earth they did it because individual consumers said I want that Mm -hmm. Why did individual consumers get that idea? Because of old tree huggers like us <laughs> who never gave up on the idea that you ought to try to change the world. And we saw environmentalism as a really, really important way to do that. And, you know, when I was young, there was no Environmental Protection Agency. The rivers in Ohio were on fire with pollution. You know, we, it really was a lot worse. You know, we're all aware of how the challenges still are there, but mm-hmm. it was a lot worse. So we sort of honed in on this notion that maybe that's a that maybe that's a way to really have a big impact is to get people connected to their food. Mm-hmm. It was just a weird little idea, <laughs> and we, and now looking back, we realize that there were hundreds of other old tree huggers like us <laughs> doing it all across the country at the same time and we've ended up having quite an impact on the culture yeah uh, I think by the time 
I was in college, there was a like a, a club at the at the University of North Carolina entirely about local organic food. Yeah, okay. that was their whole right. thing was yeah. uh, getting college students connected with the farmers market, and yeah. Yeah. Um, it's definitely been a part of my sort of language and understanding. Mm-hmm of the world and of environmentalism mm-hmm. uh, for most of my, or all of my adult life, yeah. for sure. Maybe not my whole life. But I actually um, came to this farm for the first time when I was in high school with my uh, AP environmental science class. We took a field trip out here. We got on the bus and came out here and we saw all the goats and a little baby goat sucked on my finger, and I <laughs> fell in love. <laughs> and that might have been the first time I ever tried goat cheese, which was another sort of love at first sight experience <laughs> for me. But I appreciated very much that my that was a part of my science class, was coming to a local farm that was making food. Um, I don't know that everybody gets to have that kind of experience, but... Uh, it was neat to see like this, like the whole process of like uh, where like the goats being born and then being raised and being milked and the cheese being made and then getting to try the cheese and thinking about that as part of environmentalism and part of sort of the science that we live in. Um, it was a very great field trip. <laughs> Well, that's very meaningful to us that we had some small impact on your life. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But how you said that this started as a a hobby farm for your sister. How did you get involved and how did it grow? I think it's interesting to think about. um, You could broadly categorize that there's three kinds of farms. Mm -hmm. Hobby farms are farms where you engage in agriculture but your wife better have a good job in town Mm -hmm. to support your farming habit (laughs) right because it's going to cost money not make money the second category is lifestyle farm so a lifestyle farm is a place where you do have an income stream but the only way you get the net total to work because you've got an income stream, but you'll never make enough money to repay the investment of what it costs to get it going and keep it going unless you add in the value of your lifestyle, which Mm -hmm. for some strange strange reason, the bank, when you ask for a loan, doesn't give you any credit for that. (laughs) Uh Okay, So, so, so my sister started it as a hobby. She was a nursing at Moses Cohen Hospital in Greensboro. Oh, yeah. And she had lived in Chicago for a long time. When she got this great new job down here, she said, I'm tired of living in the city. And she had picked up a couple goats along the way. I got to have a a farm for my goats. Mm -hmm. So she found this place. And this was an abandoned tobacco farm. There'd been nobody here for decades. It was in really bad shape. She said, this is just what I'm looking for. I want to bring this back online and save it as a farm. Mm -hmm. So we would come and visit her. I had Mm -hmm. an urban professional job in Minneapolis. My wife worked up as a teacher up there I, I was actually a marriage and family therapist and oh, wow. I ran a counseling center mm-hmm. and we would come and visit her in the summers and she had you know each each year she'd have it a little bit more further along the herd would be a little bit bigger and 
we'd come, we had two young sons, and we'd have these wonderful, uh, fresh, organic meals. You know, mm-hmm. we'd go out and pick the fresh herbs and vegetables. We'd have the freshly made goat cheese. We'd milk the goats. Mm-hmm. We'd have eggs. We'd have, you know, uh, local meats, mm-hmm. everything. And we'd have these great experiences. And my sister slowly started this little seduction game that took several <laughs> years. And I call it the wouldn't it be fun if game. So we'd be having these experiences. And she'd say, you know, wouldn't it be fun if we could eat like this more often? Uh-huh. You know, wouldn't it be fun if you didn't live so far away, if we lived closer together? You know, <laughs> wouldn't it be fun if we could raise a lot of our own food? And, and eventually it got to be, you know, wouldn't it be fun if we went into business together mm-hmm. and um you know long long story short it 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 was crazy it was nuts <laughs> it was never going to happen it was very tempting and then some totally unpredictable things happened which just were like huge open doors that just said if you're ever going to do this you have to do it now mm-hmm. and so in 95 we just took the big leap and we cashed out our midlife equity and Minneapolis and moved down here and so the, at that point it went to the lifestyle thing because mm-hmm. Jenny kept her job as a nurse okay because because to be successful you need now you need to hear what I'm about to tell you <laughs> at your age you need a plan a uh-huh. you need a plan B you better have a plan C and you need an exit plan okay <laughs> okay so we were old enough at that time I was 45 that mm-hmm. we knew that. So we said, Jenny, you keep your job in town <laughs> uh-huh. because this may or may not work. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she always was a nurse. She mm-hmm. always did that. And then, But then Lee and I gradually began to build the business. And But it really was all about that lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, for many, many years. Then we began to realize that if it's going to be really sustainable – You have to take good care of the earth. You have to nurture nature that nurtures you. Mm -hmm. You have to take really good care of the people. It has to be good work that people enjoy so they don't burn out. Um, And you have to make a profit. So planet, people, and profit. Because Mm -hmm. if if you're not successful as a business... It's not, you can't pass it on. It's not sustainable mm-hmm. to the next generation. It isn't a model for other people to follow mm-hmm. because the reality of life is you got you to gotta make a profit. Mm-hmm. So you move from hobby to lifestyle mm-hmm. to livelihood. So that's what I call the third stage is livelihood mm-hmm. farm. Well, it was really hard work to move it from lifestyle to livelihood. But we, we really believed in that that three legs of that stool that you needed all three legs to keep that stool stable. So we got a lot of good advice and worked very, very hard to get it to where uh, we could get that last leg, which was the hardest one, which was profitability, which is the biggest challenge for small local businesses. Yeah. Yeah. And now you, you said you've sold it to, uh, is it another family that's worked on the farm? So really early on, Mm-hmm. My sister connected with Carrie Ruth Brads and mm-hmm. her family, who their family farm was just a mile and a half up the road. Mm-hmm. And Carrie was a young woman, and she came and started washing dishes, helping Jenny out. Uh-huh. And Jenny taught her lots of the business. 
And so she was our first full-time employee more mm-hmm. than 20 years ago. She's been with us ever since then. Her father and her husband built this building. Oh, wow. And then eventually her husband, Bobby, joined her in my cheese room. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was in charge of the cheese by then. Mm-hmm. And I taught him how to make all the cheeses. And so when it came time to sell, we looked for all kinds of different owners, and it took a long, long time. And that was fortunate because it gave Bobby and Carrie enough time to get their nerve up (laughs) to come and say, you know what, we'd like to make an offer. So they made us an offer that was quite acceptable to us Uh because, of course, we really loved the idea that they would take it over. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things we're most proud of is because they – our local people, mm-hmm. their farm was not uh, sustainable as a farm, mm-hmm. income-wise. So we've been able to add value not only to our family life, but to their family life, and they'll take it on. Our, mm-hmm. our sons are off in other places doing their own successful things. Mm-hmm. Really want Goat Lady Dairy to continue, but right. they didn't want to do it. So it's yeah. a good story. Yeah, that's very nice to be able to. Uh, see it continue on yeah. and see other people care about what you've made yeah. in the same way that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I also read that you at some point were in ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see that part of your life connecting to this farm life that you have? Uh, one way I think about it is um, if you want to use a certain kind of religious language, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, there's lots of sin in the world, okay? Now, sin meh, isn't just about, you know, getting drunk on Friday or something. You know, it really is the idea that things aren't right mm-hmm. in the world. Things are out of balance. Um, and there's, there's all kinds of problems, which religiously you might, you might use that word. Mm-hmm. You just can't. There's too many to deal with, right? There's more than you can deal with. So... I got this notion that you ought to try to figure out what what problem you're going to work on, mm-hmm. what problem you're going to address. And I, I, I have this sense of calling, okay? And calling, I think, is simply when your talents and abilities and what you're passionate about mm-hmm. and what the world needs meet. Mm-hmm. Okay? When those meet, that's a calling. Yeah. Because the world's saying, gosh, you ought to take the skill set and what really gives you energy and turns you on and apply it to this because people would love that and they'd help. So I think for my family, that's how we felt about this thing about local food was mm-hmm. that one of the, we felt one of the biggest problems in the world is the way Americans had such a horrible relationship with the natural world. And, and we had been, had rich experience ourselves with seeing what miraculous uh, uh, thing it is to live in this beautiful natural world, and yet we were treating it so poorly. So we felt, let's figure out a way we can ad- address that. And, and then for the whole family, I think it became that sense of calling, that we've got a skill set, we've certainly got a passion, Mm-hmm. And we've got this great opportunity. Maybe we can we can help by it, one another way to say it was we were all about saving the planet, and my sister said, "Well, you know, if we save this farm, 
and then told people about and invited them out and used it you know maybe that's a way to really take a bigger step Mm -hmm. rather than just you know marching in a protest or something Mm -hmm. so I think for me that's where it intersects with ministry is the sense of calling yeah I um another special time that I've been out here was uh with uh, Church of the Covenant. Yeah. Um Frank Du is my was my neighbor growing yeah. up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh right across the street and yeah. my dad plays music for right. them a lot. Right. And so right. I got to come out around Christmas time right. when it was so cold. <laughs> <laughs> and we stood out uh in your barn uh-huh. and did a nativity. Oh great. A live nativity yeah. out yeah. here, which was also very special. <laughs> yeah. Was that the year that when when the angel <laughs> said be not afraid one of the little boys who was in the nativity scene being a shepherd turned and said i'm not afraid is it that year <laughs> i think so yeah. <laughs> yeah it was a precious time <laughs> well uh on that note i like to the last question that i like to ask uh folks is is there a favorite blessing or toast that you say or have heard said before a meal that you would like to share? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a tough one. Uh, for being a man with many words, I'm not sure I have a good answer for that. Well... <laughs> um, I think the motto for your farm works. I like that one a lot. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So when you change a person's relationship to their food, so maybe that becomes a blessing. Let, yeah. let us all. So you sit down and you say, let us all know where this food came from. Let us love this food and take the nourishment and go out and change the world. That's wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> Butter is produced by Ashley Melzer and me, Amy Allen. To learn more about our guest and about us, visit clarifiedbuttershow.com or keep the conversation going on Twitter and Instagram at clarifiedb. And by all means, don't forget to hit subscribe. Until next time, eat what you like and say thank you. Thank you.